Well, I know it's winter out there, but it feels like summer in here. Amen? Amen. I really liked what uh, Rhonda had to say about, let's not forget that feeling of getting back to church after being away for a while. Because I know there's going to be times down the road where, you know, it's going to be February. It's like, oh, you know, do you want to sleep in? And then let's not forget what it was like to anticipate, to be excited. I'm reminded, uh, as Rhonda said, that I instantly recall Psalm 122, when the psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And I just believe that that is the spirit of this place. We are glad to be in the house of the Lord. It is so good to be back in church. Church has not closed, so we're not reopening today. But we are just regathering again in person. And it feels good. It feels good. Amen? Amen. Well, what does it mean to love like Jesus? That's the question we've, we're asking right now. In this year-long series, we've titled, More Like Jesus. And right now what we're doing in this series is we're looking a bit about where our love is, understanding where our love is, our beautiful love, our sincere love, yet our fallen and flawed love, our imperfect love. Where is it? But more importantly, where is God's love? Where is God's love? And we want to move, understanding where our love is, but we want to move ultimately to where God's love is. And we saw that last week with the story of David and Bathsheba, understanding our love, but moving towards God's love. And we saw God's love through Jesus and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But today, uh, when it comes to our love, one of the greatest obstacles I believe we face, that our love faces, is the presence of pain and suffering in your world, my world, and in the world. In fact, one of the greatest arguments that you could make, a person can make, against the existence of a God who we as Christians describe God to be a God of love, you know, a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, but a God who is loving, is the existence of evil on this earth, is pain and suffering. It's known as the problem of evil, but it's the idea, the argument that you cannot reconcile the evil on this earth with a God who is omniscient, you know, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, and a God who is all-loving and is good. You can't reconcile the two together. Either if God does exist, either he is good, but he cannot be powerful, or he is powerful, but he is not good. He cannot be both without reconciling why evil then is allowed to exist. That's one of the, the, the main arguments made against the existence of God. But for those of us who do believe that God is a God who is powerful, who is all-loving, all-knowing, all of those things, you know, I think what troubles our love so much is not the presence of pain and suffering on this earth. Rather, it is the, the absence of a resolution to our pain and suffering. We believe God can change our circumstance and just, you know, the snap of a finger, the blink of an eye, oh, just one, vo one word that he speaks. He can change our circumstance. We believe it, and we have countless testimony in his word and throughout history of when God has done exactly that. And in his word, we have promises that we hold to, we cling to, like, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be answered. If you have faith, you can ask God anything and you will receive it. Say to that mountain, you know, mountain, go into the sea and it will be done. And it's not that we doubt God's word. It's not that we doubt him, but rather we are more confused. That if I don't receive what I've asked for, and if that mountain doesn't move, then what gives? What gives? Are we lacking faith? Are some things just predetermined that no matter how much we faith, the faith that we have, that there just, they're just is what it is? Why do some people get their answers and others don't? 
And what happens over time is that our love can grow weary and it can grow tired, doesn't it? We know in the end God will make all things right. Revelation says that in the end God will make every tear be wiped away from every eye. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. In the end, we, we believe that to be true. Yet right now, that doesn't take away from the fact that if you are experiencing pain, if you are experiencing suffering, if you are being afflicted, it doesn't take away the exhaustion and the weariness you feel right now. In the Bible, in Psalm 22, the psalmist echoes such a cry when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry day, uh, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You get the sense that the psalmist has not loved you know, has not forgotten their love for God, not lost their love for God, yet the psalmist has grown weary of praying and believing. And in moments like these, moments I think that many of us have experienced, we can do one of two things. We either run towards God or we run away from Him. We, our relationship either becomes deepened or it can become more shallow. We either become more like Jesus or less. Pete Scazzaro, a pastor in New York City and writer, he says this. He says, suffering and pain usually affect people's relationship with God in one of two ways. Sometimes we grow bitter or angry toward him for seemingly abandoning us. Abandoning us. Other times, our afflictions true us to a new dependence and humility that deepens our walk with him. What we want to do today is we want to take an honest look at what it takes for our afflictions to grow our love for God rather than to grow us in a way that is not of God. And usually the difference between our love growing and our, our love shrinking is knowing the answer to the question, what is God's purpose in all of this? And not just knowing like in a concrete way, but knowing by faith. Knowing in faith what is God's purpose in this circumstance, in this trial, and in this pain. Because truthfully, when pain has a purpose, we as humans have been shown to endure plenty of it, haven't we? For example, think of a woman giving birth. It hurts, so I've been told. I, I remember after our wife gave birth to our second child, when she finished, I said, great job. You did great, honey. Like, great job. And I was like, it just doesn't sound right. It's like, you did good. You did great. <laughs> and uh, while we're on that note, I just got to share the wonderful news that our own Pastor Carrie gave birth to a little baby boy on Friday. So Friday, little Ezra, he's very cute. I saw him yesterday. And, uh, but a mom in labor can endure a lot of pain. Amen? Husbands, amen? Amen. <laughs> and you ask any mother, was that pain worth it for that little child to come into the world? And unless you catch them on a really bad day, the answer is, Yes. Now ask that same mother, if you had to do that, if you had experienced that for 30 years, was, was that pain worth it? I don't know if they'd have that same answer. Pain without a purpose is pointless. Pain with a purpose, we can endure it. Pain without purpose is pointless. But here's God's promise for you today. Here is, here's what I want you to know. Here's this promise that we're going to cling to. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who, who love God, all things work together for good. doesn't say work together good, but for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
Could it be that even in the most difficult moments of life, because we are called by God and because we love him, there can be purpose in our pain that goes beyond our understanding? And hear me today, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that as a throwaway statement. I mean, I know that some of you have experienced incredibly hard moments, even this past year. As a pastor, I've had the privilege of, of walking with some through the pain and hearing the cry and feeling the despair. So I don't say any of this lightly. Yet in the midst of it all, I know there is a God who in all things, all things, not some, all things is calling you to never stop growing into his likeness. To never stop running towards him in the pain and not from it. And there's a story that I want to share in the Old Testament about a time when a woman's affliction did not stop her love for God from growing. It's the story of a woman named Hannah. Hannah was a, a very special woman, a woman of faith. And, and, and you don't, you know, the mother of Jesus, Mary, when she said her famous song, you know, when my heart rejoices, she patterned that after Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And so, you know, you're, you know you're a special person when the mother of our Messiah is singing her song after your song. Hannah was married to a man by the name Elkanah, who in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is described, I like how it begins, it says, it was described as a certain man, a pious man, who just so happens to be married not to one woman, but two. He's not just married to Hannah, but there is another wife that he has, a, a wife by the name Penana. Now just as a side note, some people have asked me the question, why is there polygamy in the Old Testament? And, and interestingly, why is there nowhere where God's is like explicitly saying that that's wrong. And I had a Bible college professor, this is just a complete side note, bring this up, and he said, yes, it's interesting that nowhere in the Old Testament does God specifically, explicitly command that polygamy is wrong, yet find me one instance where it worked out in a positive way, then come back and ask me that question again. And that's true. I mean, and Elkanah's marriage to both Hannah and Peninnah is no exception to the rule. Very quickly, we see that Elkanah loves Hannah more than his other wife, Peninnah. But yet, what Peninnah has is what is the source of Hannah's pain. That is, Peninnah has bore children while Hannah cannot. And you know in that day, in that time, in that culture, we don't even really need to explain it, but a woman not having a child, there is no greater suffering to a woman's life than that. Not bearing children. And Peninnah, knowing Hannah is loved more by her husband than she, and knowing the pain this has caused her, she, she knows that Hannah wants that one thing more than anything in the world, a child, and so what Peninnah does is mocks Hannah relentlessly. We pick up in verse 7 to 11 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. So this went on year by year. This wasn't a one-time thing. This was a, a, an ongoing thing. It went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I think this is where the beginning of what some people like to call mansplaining. For him to say, am I not more to you than ten sons? I don't think that was the best thing to say. I think a better way of phrasing it would have been, are you not more to me than ten sons? Nevertheless, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. 
she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. That's the Nazarite vow that she's referring to. Now, Hannah has come to the end of her limit. She's tired. She's worn down. She loves the Lord, but she's at the end of it. She finds herself in a place of deep desperation. She's desperate. She's willing to do anything for God to do that one thing. Have you ever been in such a place before? Have you ever found yourself clinging to the promises of God, yet everything in you is worn out? It is worn down. And you Bear your soul before God because you're willing to do anything for God to do that one thing for you. And these are the moments that we can be driven in one of two directions. For some, they're moments that drive us towards bitterness, towards resentment of God. But they can be moments where we can, where we can now turn to God with a deeper dependency and humility. And it's where we turn in moments like these that are, make all the difference in regards to our love. And see, what Hannah does next is the difference between Hannah being a footnote in the story of redemption or being a, a, fate, a forever remembered as one of the great women of the Bible. Hannah chooses in that moment to get on her knees, and what does she do? She prays. But she doesn't just pray. I mean she prays. And what's interesting is not what Hannah prays, but how she prays. Hannah prays in three ways. She prays, she prays passionately. It says that she prayed and she wept much. She poured out her soul to the Lord, it says. She prayed persistently. It says that she continued to pray. She prayed and she prayed, she prayed, until finally she caught the eye of Eli, who, was over, who, 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 who saw her after she had continued praying for some time. She prayed sincerely. It says she prayed in her heart, but nothing came out of her mouth. Only her lips moved because she was praying sincerely in her heart. I mean, if you want to know how to pray, that's a sermon on prayer right there in a nutshell. She prayed passionately, persistently, sincerely. There at that altar, Hannah bears all before the Lord. And you can see the, is, what you can see there is faith in her heart. Yes, it is firmly rooted in who God is, but yet she is willing to ask God for the, to do what only God can do. And in the most difficult moments of this life, and I'm telling you right now, the only way that we can be able to run towards God, the only way that our love can grow more for God and not less, is if we get on our knees and we bear our heart to God in prayer. To pray to God passionately and persistently and sincerely. See, when I see Hannah there on her knees, weeping before the Lord, pouring out her soul to the Lord, I can't help but think about what one pastor in the 19th century, a Scottish pastor, said of prayer. Robert McChain says this. He says, when a person is alone on their knees before God, that they are and no more. And that is a quote that has been haunting me all week long. Where that person is on their knees, that you are, and you are no more you are no less. Because in prayer, we are stripped before God. I think that's one of the reasons why we are afraid of prayer. We resist prayer. We are afraid because in prayer, God strips us of our self-sufficiency. He strips us of needing to know all the answers. He strips us of our armor. 
why we pray is because the only way we are going to grow our love in the difficult moments of life is first we need to allow God to see everything in us, to see it all, all the pain, the hurt, the frustration, the insecurity, the vulnerability. If you want to grow your love for God, do not resist this. Give to God the deepest part in who you are because in moments like this, when you give God to him all who you are, he gives you something back in return, and that is faith. Faith. See, what often goes unmentioned in the story of Hannah is that when we focus on Hannah's desperate plea to God for a son and the subsequent miracle that she receives and she gives him back to the Lord, we know later on, young Samuel, there's something that happens in the middle. It says that Hannah got up from the temple, she went home, she ate, and it says her face was no longer sad. Did she get an answer to her prayer? No. So what caused her to get up? after she had bore her heart before the Lord, to get up and go on her way and to say that her face was no longer sad. It was faith. You see, in prayer, what we often expect God to give us is an answer, but more often than not, what, we, what God wants to give us in prayer is faith. Because with faith, Matthew chapter 21, 22 says, whatever you ask for in prayer, if you have faith, you will receive. Here lies the challenge of faith. That if I have faith, why haven't I received? Anyone ever feel that way before? I've got the faith. The faith, I've got, why haven't I received? Why does that mountain not move? Am I lacking faith or is God just not telling the truth? But here's why God wants you to receive faith and not necessarily the answer. Because faith asks of God, not the question, God, will you answer? Because faith knows that God has already given you his answer. God has already answered every single thing you have asked him. He has answered. And if you ask something of God that is according to his will, the answer is not yes or no. It is now or later. And so faith asks not will God answer, but when will God answer? Is it now or is it later? And if it's now, then great. I will worship. I will praise. I will rejoice. But if it's later then in faith, God, would you give me the strength I need to maintain my joy, my peace, my love, my patience as I wait for your will to be done, for your answer to come on earth as it is in heaven. See, what the church needs to endure, what the disciples of Christ need to persevere is not an answer to their questions. It is faith. It is faith. It is faith that in all things... In all things, that is what keeps our love, our heart for Christ growing in our hearts. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus tell a parable about how we can have such faith. Luke chapter 18, 1 says, And Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and to not lose heart. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't often explain beforehand the reason for his parable, but here he does. He says, I'm going to tell you a story, and the purpose of the story is that so you never stop praying, and you never stop enduring. You always have heart. And this is what he goes on to say in verse 2 to 5. He says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. This is a parable 
that relates to the day of the Lord that is coming. It is about a day when Jesus will come and he will set all things right. See, we have to look at Luke chapter 18 in the context of the, the conversation Jesus is having. Jesus is having in Luke chapter 17 a conversation about what the day of the Lord will be like. This is a parable that is telling us about what will happen when God comes. And, in, and what, hap- what we need to do in the middle as we wait, because God knows, what Jesus knows, is that naturally as we wait for the day of the Lord, our hearts will grow weary, and we, we need to stay strong until the day of his return. And so very similar to the story of Hannah, Jesus tells a story of a widow who has been shown great injustice. And if you know the Bible, you know that, that people were supposed to take care of widows. Religion that is undefiled in the eyes of the Lord is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. That's like the Old Testament in a nutshell. That's what James said of the Old Testament. Widows were to be treated with respect, to be taken care of, to be provided for. And so this widow has been received an injustice by this adversary. It's probably relating to money, although we, we don't know. But the widow... If this was not bad enough, the widow that in the, her jurisdiction, the justice assigned to her was a man who neither feared God nor feared man. Did not care about God, did not care about people. He cared about himself. Justice would go to the one who had the most money, not the one who had the most right cause. But this widow, terribly afflicted, in suffering, in her suffering, would come day after day to the judge's house and bang on the door demanding justice. Day after day after day until finally the judge gives the woman what she wants. Not out of duty, not because it's right, because he's annoyed with her. And he wants to get rid of her so that her constant badgering will stop. And that's the story. Jesus says that's, you want to know why you should always pray and why you should never stop taking heart in the midst of difficult situations? That's why. What's the point Jesus is making here? Is Jesus saying that in order to get God to do what we need God to do, that we got to wear God down with our prayer requests, that we got to constantly badger God in order for him to answer? No. Here's what Jesus meant in, that, in this parable. Why we can pray, why we can lose heart, is because our God is nothing like the judge in this parable. Unlike the unjust judge, the unrighteous judge, our God is a righteous judge who is going to set all things right, who is going to avenge those who have suffered injustice, who will make a way when there is no way. And here's the kicker. Because God is not like the unrighteous judge, we don't have to be like the widow. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. We don't have to bang on God's door, even though God invites us to freely come. We don't have to constantly badger God with our requests, though he says you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and with boldness. Yes, God will come, be certain of that. Yet God will come in his own timing and is in his own way. And what that means for you and I is that while we wait, we will still need to endure. As we already read in Isaiah, even the young people are going to grow faint and weary. Even young, young men will lose their strength. But those who wait upon the Lord 
Those who wait for God to act, those who wait for God to come shall renew their strength. Why? Because our God is, is an everlasting God. His understanding is searchable. He does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Here's what Jesus says of his parable in verse 6 to 8. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And here's the most important part. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Yes, God will come. Yes, God will answer. Yes, God will do what only God can do. Nevertheless, will he find faith? Will he find faith? What does Jesus want to see in his church on the day of his return? Does he want to see a church filled with answers? A church that knows everything? No, he wants to see faith. Faith that prays passionately and persistently and sincerely for God to do, yet at the same time remain steadfast with overflowing joy. That in love bears all things and believes all things and endures all things and hopes all things because they know that in all things God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see, if we desire to be more like Jesus, even in the affliction, even in times of trouble, even in our pain and suffering, I mean, who better to learn from than the very one who entered into a life of affliction and trouble on our behalf? A man who is described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who asked the Father in the garden to remove this cup of suffering from me. Yet when there was no answer, when God did not answer, he prayed in faith, not my will, but yours be done. Who on the cross was taunted with, with things like, if you are the Son of God, why don't you come on down? Show yourself, show your power, show your might. Yet he never once wavered, even after the Father laid the iniquity of us all, our iniquity, on his shoulders, causing him to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. He took on our affirmities. He carried our sorrows. In his love, he ran towards us so that we could run towards him. And by his stripes, by his stripes, we are healed. By his blood will all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. When the Son of Man comes, what is he going to find right here in this church? When Jesus returns for us, what will he find in his church? What will he find in you? And if you desire the answer to be faith, I just want to invite you right now to stand to your feet. We're just going to pray. Worship team, you guys can come. Let's just right now, we're going to pray. I want to pray for a few things this morning. If that's you, you know, just, I just want you just to pray this with me. I want to pray for those who right now are in pain. You've grown tired and weary. Your love feels exhausted for God, for others. Perhaps even you've found yourself in your, in your circumstances wanting to run away from God rather than towards Him. If that's you today, I just want to pray for you. I just want to lift you up today in prayer. 
I want to pray for our love to endure as we wait for God in all things. And I want to pray for those right now who you're just in the midst of it. You are in the heat of the battle. We want to lift you up. In fact, right now, I just, if that's you right now, and if you're just in the midst of it, you're in the midst of it right now. I don't know whatever that means, the midst of it to you, but if that's you, and you just want the strength of the community, the people of God to lift you up in prayer right now, would you just stretch out your hand just as a sign of faith? Just say, that's me. Plenty of hands, isn't there? Thank you so much for just that sign of expression. It's never easy to put your hand up, especially with something like that. But right now, let's just, if you saw someone with their hands up, just stretch your arms out to them right now. Just stretch out and let's just pray. God, we thank you today. We start by saying thank you that you are not like that unrighteous judge. That you are a God who gives justice. That you are a God who comes speedily when your children cry. God, we don't understand your timing. We don't understand how you, you know, the speed at which you work. We don't, we count slowness differently than you count slowness. We just want to acknowledge that today. And God, I imagine there are some people frustrated right now because they haven't got their answer. But God, I pray, my prayer, Lord, for today is that we would be a people who would sacrifice the answer in order to pick up faith. Not that forsaking the answer, not rejecting the answer, not believing that the answer won't come. I mean, you have the power to make it happen right now. Maybe you will. I don't know. But God, I pray the mantle that we carry, the burden that is becomes ours is faith. Lord, give us faith. Let faith arise. God, when you come, we want you to see our faith. Faith, God. Faith that is firmly rooted in your promise, but a faith that is not afraid to come to the throne of grace with boldness. We come, God, and we, we, on behalf of those with arms raised, maybe they're just so tired and weary that they can't even pray those words themselves. We come on their behalf right now, God, and whatever request, whatever prayer, whatever words were represented in those hands raised, oh God, we come to you, Lord, and Lord, we just ask God, like Hannah asked, God, we just ask for you to intervene. We ask for you to come. Lord, we ask for you to do what only you could do in that situation, in that circumstance, in that trial. Lord, if there's anybody in pain and suffering today, oh God, I pray that they know that they don't have to be like that widow today. They can trust in your goodness. They can trust, Lord, that you will see them through it. That they can trust that even when they don't have the faith, that you are faithful. That he who is faithful, who began a good work, will be faithful to see it through. He will see that work through. Lord, give us the strength that we need to wait upon the Lord with joy, with love, with peace, with patience, with the fruit of the Spirit. May it abound as we remain steadfast and wait upon your answer, wait upon your promises. God, my prayer is, and I just pray against the enemy right now who wants to seek nothing more than to see our love become so tired and so weary that we take ourselves out of, the, out of it all completely. That we give up. That we run out. That we fall down. Oh God, I pray you would protect us from the enemy. Protect us from the lies, from the arrows of the enemy, which are lies that come against our families, 
marriages, against our situations, against our cry. God, help us, Lord. We want to be a people of faith when you return. We want to be a people of faith. And in faith, Lord, our love will abound more and more every day. More and more. Life does not have to turn our love inward. Life does not have to wall us up. Life does not have to wear us down. You give strength to the weary. You lift the head of the one who has been broken. You give justice to the one who has been shown injustice. So God, we lift our heads to you today. And may you find faith in us today. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Before we close today, we're going to sing one more song. So let's just spend a few more moments in worship before we dismiss. <laughs>